Well, I'm so glad that you joined us this morning. And if you're just joining us for the first time, we're going through a study through the book of 1 Corinthians together. We're actually going to do 1 and 2 Corinthians. We've called it the prodigal church. And it is designed for us to wrestle with what God's best is for us and for us not to miss out on his best for us. Tommy Nelson, pastor in Denton, Texas, tells the story of a, journey, a traveler who is um, searching uh, and he comes across this tribe that is in waters that look a little bit like this, alligator infested kind of, do you guys see the alligator in there? I forgot pointing him out. If you look really close, you can see what in there. So he walks into this, oh, if I don't point it out, you're never gonna see it, are you? See, it's like halfway through aiming that way. So. He, he is he's exploring, he comes to this tribe and the tribe invites him. Okay, all right, focus, everybody, come on, come on. I'm up here, so, okay. So he, so he, um, so he goes into this tribe and um, he notices as he walks in, people are very kind, they invite him to a dining table and as they're talking, but he starts to notice that there are scars on many people's bodies. He notices that some people have limbs that have been taken off. And there's this horrific event that actually somebody gets snatched by one of these, these crocodiles and they're, they're drug into the mud and, and no one says anything. And, and he's just shocked. And he, and he says, what's going on? And, and then the, the, one of the leaders in the tribe says, oh, we, do, we don't talk about crocodiles. It's shocking, right? You can't imagine that something that would do so much destruction would be considered taboo. But I want to challenge you this morning as we turn our hearts to God's word, that it is possible that the subject of intimacy, the way God designed it, when it's misunderstood, misused, and it can ultimately be one of those things that can leave casualties all around us. In fact, this morning, if we're honest with ourselves, we see those casualties all around us. People who have misunderstood God's design for our intimacy and our sexuality. For some of you, you say, wait a second, we're going to talk about this in church? And I want to gently remind you of the fact that the God that we serve is the God who invented our sexuality. He is the God who understands this and communicates to us intimate truths about intimacy, and he has some powerful things to share with you and I. And if we choose to ignore it, what we find is that there's casualties that surround it all around us. And so God doesn't choose to ignore it in his word. In fact, the God who invented sexuality has a lot to say to us about it. And so we're not ashamed to talk about it publicly here. Now I'm going to share with you a couple of goals that I have this morning. Uh, first of all, some of you are saying, hey, what does this have to do with me? And I want to encourage you that there is a universal application of this truth for all of us. For some of us in the room, we're single. For some of us, we're single again. Some of us are divorced. Some of us are 12, and they're going, why are we talking about this? This is awkward, right? Some of us are grandparents. Some of us wrestle with this. But I want, to, I want you to hear what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all. It says, let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. You know, this message is not just intended to be for the happily married people in the room or the people who are struggling in their marriage. This applies to all of us. And I'll say this gently, but truthfully, if you don't wrestle with this part of your life and if you don't have victory in this part of your life, if you believe that marriage is going to fix that, 
Um, I want to just challenge you in that. In fact, in my counseling experience, I've had times where I've counseled couples that have had affairs on honeymoons. You can imagine that. And so there's a recognition that there's a universal application of this truth for us that God desires for us to hold the marriage bed and honor above all, but the goal isn't to cause shame this morning. We, we had um, an experience in our house where uh, my mom one year had, had grown this beautiful garden in our backyard and um, some of our neighbors actually had their cows, they got, they got lost and mixed up and they ended up like eating my mom's whole garden. Now these aren't the ones that I cut down the cherry tree for those of you who were here last week, uh, completely different set of neighbors. But, but, but um, what, what happened there was we didn't just let them continue on, but instead they tied them up, they took them back, they, they stored them away. Billy Graham has this, this saying that he would talk about when people are struggling with, with things in their past or mistakes that they've made, sin that they've allowed to come into their life. And he said this, he says, if the cows have left the barn, put them back in again. And this morning, as we study God's word together, when we talk about what it means to be serious about sin, there's a part of this that it's not a shame-based message that's supposed to make you feel guilty, but instead it's just to say, my God that I serve, the one that I worship and praise is a God who's in the redemption business. He restores what's broken. He desires for us to be people who take him at his word and to honor him. And so there's a redemptive element of this that is basically saying to us, if we're making mistakes in this area, we need to be people who are serious enough to take it seriously. And and I'll challenge you. You're going to see this in the text this morning really clearly. And that is, he's going to challenge us to say that, that we live in a world that has a lot of different values than what we do. In fact, there's this statement that we say, come as you are. And in fact, that's a value that I believe we see throughout the New Testament, that, that Christ did this with guys like Zacchaeus and the woman at the well and others. Come as you are. But in the church context, what Paul's going to warn us about today is the this message after that isn't stay as you are. Do you understand? So it's come as you are. You come broken and, and with your, your challenges and wrestles and wrestling and you, and you expose yourself to the truth of the gospel. And then God's word is really clear that those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, if we're going to honor his reputation, if we're going to glorify him in our life, we have to be people who wrestle with what it means for us to look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see this, that, that this is one of those areas. And this is one of many sin areas. We'll see it in the text. It's not just about sexuality or sexual intimacy, but he's going to talk about other areas of our lives that ought to be impacted by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just come as you are and stay as you are, but as a Christ follower, it's come as you are, be impacted by the truth of the gospel, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then allow yourselves to be changed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the apostle Paul is saying here, we cannot ignore it. We can't ignore the fact that that if people are not only aware of sin in their life, but that they're flaunting sin in their life, that it causes great disruption and destruction in the church. So this message has a universal application for us. It is designed to be redemptive this morning, but it's also, I want to be sensitive to the fact that this is a very difficult topic. I, I recognize that for some of you, 
in this room, even as we approach this, you think of in your own life of times that you have been abused, addiction in your own life, struggles that you've had statistically in this room. This is something that has left scars on people in this room's lives. Can we be honest about that? That there's, there's residue. There's people we love that have been lost. There's divorces that have happened because of people ignoring and allowing and tolerating things that the Apostle Paul is just saying, you guys, we're better than this. You are made for more than this. That, that, that the disruption, the pain, and that we can't, as, as Christ followers, just ignore it and assume that everything's just going to be okay. I need to clarify a couple things on that. First one is we're talking about the church family dynamic. And the church family dynamic has some rules to it. And we're going to see Paul say, we got to take sin really seriously. I want to challenge you to recognize that this is a little different than the home family dynamic. When the Lord Jesus talks about the story of the prodigal son, that there was always a pathway home for his son to be restored. And it's important as a father, I'm challenging God's word, not to exasperate my children. Literally in the text, it says that I'm not supposed to break their hearts. And I want to challenge you, those of you who are wrestling with some of the struggles of your children, or, or also we're going to see this, struggles of non-believers that aren't professing Christ, that for some of us, we, we misunderstand that, that there's time where we say, Lord, would you do a work in their lives? But, but they still remain our family. Do you understand? We still have relationship with them. And so as we study this very heavy response to sin that has crept within the church for those who are celebrating and parading the fact that they are in direct opposition of God's taught, taught and, and communicated word, I want to recognize that this is different than this, that the, the family dynamic is unique. And this is not simply that we, we say that this is the only sin, that sexual um, promiscuity or sexual um, immorality, the way it's described. Can, can we stop there for just a second? To even just say that something is sexually immoral is, is hard in our society today. To, to come up with a list of what are the things in our society that they believe are right or wrong or what you can and can't do. And, and I'll just remind you, we don't make our list based on the world's list. You understand? We, we, we make our list based on what God's word tells us, his view. And, and, and I want to remind you, he's not stealing away something from us. But instead, the God who designed this wants us to thrive within his best. And so he, the man who's writing these words is a man who committed himself to the Lord that was a single man who loved the Lord beautifully. And, and I look at this and I would just say, let's recognize the fact that this is so much more than just about sexual intimacy, but it's about understanding God's provision for his people and obedience. And so in this society that they're living, just think about these words. This was one of the mantras of the church in Corinth. All things are lawful for me. <laughs> I, can, I can do all things. We don't know if this was because they misunderstood God's theology, that by being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, did it give you a pass to live however you want? We don't know if it was that they felt that they were enlightened in such a way that, that they didn't have to worry about those petty things. But when Paul writes to this church, he's going to say something to them that is incredibly blunt. And he's going to say, your immorality, your, ignoring, your ignorance of God's commands is, is, is shocking to me. And it leads us to the first point this morning that we need to, be a, we need to have a better way of approaching this topic. That, 
that, that, that, that there's a better way for us to see our intimacy that God's designed us um, within, to see it through his perspective, and we need to have a better understanding of this intimacy. The Apostle Paul, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 where we left off last week. It says this, it is actually, in other words, he's shocked, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality. The word here in Greek is porneia. It, it's attempts at sexual gratification separated from God's design of sexual intimacy within the confines of marriage. He says, it's reported that there is sexual immorality among you as Christians and of a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. This, this was, was probably hard for him to say. It was hard for him to... So, so there was some version of incest, probably with a woman who was outside of the church, but a mother-in-law. And it's, it's one of those, those statements that you, you read it, and, 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 and over time, when you stop caring about doing things God's way, it's just one of those things that was allowed to creep in. But he says in chapter, um, chapter 5, verse 2, And you are arrogant, Ought you not rather to mourn? In other words, they're celebrating something that you ought to be mourning about. And we can't just ignore the fact that this is happening with people who, remember, we said, come as you are, not stay as you are. These are people who are professing as Christ followers that their actions and their behavior, Paul is saying, is even more um, immoral than those who are in the world. And he calls this arrogance. And he says, you ought to mourn. I want to remind you this morning that sexual intimacy is designed for the exclusive security of a covenant marriage relationship. I celebrate that. That's the way God designed it. And, and for some reason in our society today, it seems like we want to separate those two, but they're, not in, they're inseparable. You cannot separate those two in such a way that, that allows it to be not an emotional experience. I, I love the story of my friend who, um, he was doing some construction around his home. He wanted to put some insulation in. Anybody use that spray foam? You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, he was using the spray foam. He's not particularly handy. Uh, and he got some on his hands and then he accidentally stuck his hands, literally stuck his hands together. All right. And so he said that his wife had to call or he tried to call and got to the manufacturer and he had to soak himself for a long period of time to, to just get his hands to be pulled apart. And when he finally did, there's just, there's skin that's tearing and it's pulling. And I want, I want you to use, I want to use this image with you this morning to understand that sexual intimacy is a gift from God designed to help a marriage stay together. And so when we try to separate that and reattach, it just gets complicated. It, it, it misses God's provision for what it means to have an intimate relationship. And instead, it tries to make it something. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. When, it, when we get stuck in that cycle, we have an ever-increasing desire for an ever-decreasing pleasure, is the way he words it. And, and, and we, we have ways that we do this in our society that that really rips away a marriage relationship from the intimate confines that God's designed for it. You really cannot separate emotional intimacy from the sexual intimacy in the marriage context in a way that the world wants to do it. The, the Apostle Paul um, challenges this, this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, flee from sexual immorality. 
every other sin a person commits outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. He's saying that this is a little different than other sins in our lives. It's distinct in its repercussions and its context. Verse, um, so, so what we see is in this society that they were in, things like divorce rates were super high. There was a, a, um, a misunderstanding of God's design for sexuality. And the church just started to model their decisions and behavior after the decisions and behavior of the world. And so his language here, when he says flee from it, saying you don't want to mess with it. You see, God wants what's best for us regardless of our marital status. I love that there was a single man that wrote this. I love that as I counsel couples as they anticipate marriage, that, that not understanding these principles does not get solved when you get into a marriage relationship because God has designed us to be people who place our faith and trust in him. And it's fascinating when he says, ought you not mourn? He, he's challenging them in this text to, to mourn what's lost. You're, you're missing out on what God has, the best that he has in mind. And here by this very specific sin that he's addressing, he's, he's saying something that, that we see elsewhere in scripture. This is great. Um, you, can, you can keep your, your hand here in the Bible. If you want to flip over to Leviticus chapter 18, uh, this is fascinating what, um, what, in the, what we see in the book of Leviticus when it talks about how we associate with the culture around us. He, you can summarize these words and say, we don't do things the way they do things. Listen to this in Leviticus chapter 18, verse one. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you live. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall, not, you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does not, he shall live by them. In other words, when you say, we don't do it like they do. We, we need to stop that. And so I'm going to go back to my cows left the barn thing. And I'm going to say, if, if you are looking for a definition of how to thrive in a world that's complex, and, and we live in a sex-saturated society, you know that, right? Uh, you're aware of that. You don't, you don't even have to leave this room to recognize that reality today. But, but while we live in that, what, what I'm so grateful for is that God has allowed us to be a people who understand we don't have to live the way that we do, they do. We don't have to do things the way they do. So in this context, in Corinth, they, they believed this all things are permissible society. They, they had their own morals and ethics that aligned with those of the culture. And it was a come as you are, stay as you are kind of mindset. Everything's lawful. And it, and it to me, when I hear this, I, I think that, that ironically, it sounds so familiar to the world that you and I live in. That even here, when Paul says that, that you celebrate things that they themselves even look down upon in the context of the Greek culture, this very specific sin that he was talking about was looked down upon. In the Roman culture, the law prohibited it, and yet it was happening in the church. And so, so I'll remind you, when, when the, the Lord Jesus taught us about sin in general, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, if your right eye causes you to sin... He, he, said, he said, pluck it, pluck it out. 
And you look at this and you go, well, what is he talking about? But what he's saying, and he goes on in that context to talk about judgment, and he's just saying, it's too important to just not uh, to obey it. It's too important to ignore it. It's too important to just do this the way that the world does this. And, and what I appreciate about the person who gets this right, do you remember Joseph, the the man who flees from the temptation with Potiphar's wife, his boss's wife, and he says this phrase. It's so beautiful to me. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing? Do you guys remember what it says? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? That, that his, he understood that this was not just about the consequences that were going to happen, but instead this was about obedience to to, to the God that he loved, and he gets it right. But what the church was in Corinth was getting wrong was misunderstanding the simple truth of God's grace. I want you to hear a couple of verses that are very challenging. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, talking about this concept that some believed, and that is that, that maybe I should sin more so that God's grace is, is elevated. He says, what shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? His answer back is, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, when we became believers, we died to sin. So to go back to this, it's like what Proverbs is, like a dog that returns to its vomit. Romans 6, 15, that's gross, isn't it? It's, it's a gross image. Romans 6, 15 says this, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which, which leads to righteousness. He's describing what, what it means to be a slave to sin. And he's saying, as a Christ follower, you do not have to be a slave to sin. Jude, um, in, its, in its one chapter, verse four, says this, for certain people, he warns us about what's gonna happen in the church. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. This leads us to the second point this morning. And that is, I think we need a better understanding of sin. Uh, we need to be willing to call something sin, uh, that it goes against God's design and his plan, um, and also a better understanding of restoration. Um, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 2, it goes on to say this, Let him who has done this be removed from you. For though absent in body, I am present with you in spirit. So remember, Paul is writing this from Ephesus, and he's, um, he's caring for this church from a distance. And I think it's a weird way for him to say that we share the same Holy Spirit here. And as, if I were present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. In other words, we don't need to debate this. This isn't nuance. This isn't how bad of a sin. He's just saying it's just wrong. And, and I'm willing to say it that this is wrong, what's happening. A, a believer ought not to be doing 
what is happening in that household. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, that might be a reference to Timothy. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I think this is really the embodiment of when Jesus says, pluck it out if your eye causes you to sin. But this is not ultimately to isolate him forever, but instead it's an act of restoration so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's too important to not take this seriously. Think church, it's important for us to be people who call it what it is. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, in attitude, or in nature. That's the way Wayne Grudem puts it. I love the way that John Piper, Piper describes sin. I want you to see this uh, as I read it. It's powerful. What is sin? Sin is the glory of God, not honored. The holiness of God, not reverenced. It's the greatness of God, not admired. It's the power of God, not praised. It's the truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God not savored. What is sin? It's the faithfulness of God not trusted. The commandments of God not obeyed. The justice of God not respected. The wrath of God not feared. The grace of God not cherished. The presence of God not prized. The person of God not loved. That is sin. So when Joseph says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? He shows us a model of what it means to be people who see obedience as a form of worship. And when we find ourselves numbed to sin or ignoring it or justifying it, or I've thought a lot about this this last week, like that, that we just change the measurement and we say, well, I'm doing better than the world does, so, so I must be holier. No, no, no. He, he's saying, you know, they're always going to function in the way they function. The world's going to act like the world. You and I have a different standard of righteousness because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the work of the Holy Spirit that's at work in our life. Can you guys tell I care about this? Uh, I, I just, it's so, it's so amazing how clear Paul is in the text. Verse 6, he says this, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let me tell you what he's talking about here. Uh, my mom had the challenge of feeding four growing boys growing up, and one of the ways that she did that was to make wonderful sourdough rolls. I've probably eaten a million of these in my lifetime. Uh, but she, it was always funny when mom would talk about these sourdough rolls. It's kind of like this leaven that's described where she said, I've got to feed it, which is kind of weird when you're talking about bread, right? Uh, but it, it, it required certain things to grow. And, and if it wasn't fed, ultimately at some point it could, it could die. And really what Paul's saying is when it comes to the things that are happening in the world that's around us, let's, let's let those die. Like, th those don't have any place here. Let's, let's start something new that, that is based on understanding the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and on the way that we approach these really significant topics. And so in, in uh, Orthodox Jewish homes to this day, about a month before Passover, they go through a ceremony that's designed to identify the leaven in their home and to, 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 to intentionally pursue and to seek and to find a residue of leaven. The, the, the image is one that's helpful, sort of, 
But, but so much more is the understanding of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when he's declaring publicly like, hey, you don't want this to be a part of the batch because it's going to impact the entire thing. So cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, which is kind of a funny thing to say. I want to be a new lump. Anybody ready to buy that t-shirt? Um, um, so, so be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You guys know that's a celebration. Like we, we've been, it's been paid in full. We've been bought with the price. The Lord has forgiven us. And so, yes, we have been forgiven. We came as we are, but now he's got something new for us. He wants to set us free. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice, and of evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Man, I want to be that person. I want to be a person who's guileless, that's sincere, and that lives in the light of the truth of God and his word. So, so what we see here, this isn't about discipline that's intended to just cause pain to this man. But instead, discipline done right is about restoration. Elsewhere in 1 Timothy, it's described as a, a method to teach them so they can learn. So, so we pray that, that this person who is blatantly ignoring the truth of God's word, that they're held accountable, they're spurred on, they're challenged. We pray that there's restoration that takes place, that they, like the prodigal son, comes home. And I just want to celebrate, before we go any further, that the God that I serve that I worship is a God who's in the restoration business, right? That, that he takes what's broken and, and he allows us to put those cows back in again, right? That he allows us to be people who say, from this day forward, I am going to commit myself to not ignoring sin that's crept into my life. I'm going to seek out the old leaven that's wreaking havoc in my life. And do you understand why I keep emphasizing this isn't just about disappointing someone. Actually, it's about understanding that God's ways are for our best uh, ways. God's, God's interest is that we experience life, that we might have it abundantly. And so we look at this and we say, we can change our mind, praise the Lord, and we can change our actions. I also want to challenge you this morning that we need a better understanding of non-believers. And we're going to see this in the text that the Apostle Paul is going to be flabbergasted by the fact that, that they're confusing the way the world functions with the way Christians functions and function. And, and we need to get this right. So, so when it comes to understanding the gospel, our interaction with the world is one where they don't embrace the same values that God's word teaches. Have you noticed that? That they, there's a different set of rules that they function by. And, and Paul's not saying we should be shocked by that. In fact, he's saying we, it's just when we obey the same rules of the world, that should shock us. Have, have any of you enjoyed watching the Olympics these last few weeks? I sure have. And my, my family has uh, kind of watched me. I, I have this kind of ongoing party in my head during the Olympics that I just think, how fun would it be if during one of these events, they just grab somebody out of the audience, like a normal dude, and just put him into the event. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, like, like it's like the marathon, and it's just a guy who's just sitting in the audience. Hey, have fun. Good luck. You know, it's the swimming 
the, you know, the butterfly stroke and just like me in there like splashing, you know? And it's like afterwards, like, like three days later, the guy finally finishes, right? It, it's, it's, it's preposterous. You guys celebrated the, uh, our, our neighbor in Olmsted. I love that I claim her. Like she's my friend, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the Olympian that won the gold medal that lives in Olmsted Falls. And can you just imagine, you know, grabbing somebody out of the stands and giving them a poll and going, good luck, right? It's, it's crazy. But when Paul talks about non-believers here, he's saying to them, as a Christ follower, you and I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We, we have God's word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We have his loving kindness in Romans 2 that should lead us to righteousness, right? But, but, but a non-believer, they don't have those promises. In fact, Biblically, there's statements that say that they're a slave to sin, that, that it describes it that way. So when we confuse the two, which we do sometimes, it wreaks havoc in our understanding of the church. We, we, we want to use their standard of measurement sometimes, and then we want to apply it to ourselves, and somehow it makes us arrogant, according to Paul's description. He, he says this in verse 9 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, I wrote you in my letter, sadly, uh, we, don't, we don't have a copy of that letter. Uh, but he says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to get out of the world. This is a profound statement here because some of you, your lives are surrounded by people who aren't believers. In fact, most of us, that's where we live and that's an okay thing. In fact, when we read this, he's not saying, he's saying, like, like, you don't, like, what would I do to try to get out of the world? I mean, there weren't rockets at the time. He's just kind of saying, there's, there's no way. We, we are going to be surrounded by people who live differently than we do. But then he goes on to say, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, this, this statement is hard. But, but what he's saying here is, is we don't ignore sin. We don't take them. Now, this is a distinction because I will tell you that, that the Christian life is an ongoing battle with sin. He's saying if people are sinning and they're, they're celebrating their sin and the name of Christ, they're, they're celebrating and making it public, this declaration of the, I can live however I want to. Paul's saying there's got to be a consequence. There's got to be a reaction. We've got to encourage them. We've got to love them through this process. We've got to remind them we're better than this. And so anyone who bears this name, he talks about the consequences of it. So, so then he says, God's in the business of judging people. And here he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? In other words, God's in the business of judging non-believers. But, but here there's a description there. He's saying, if you see your brother and sister who are claiming to be Christ followers and are just living like the rest of the world, look at all the, ver the, the concepts, sexual immorality, greed, idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. That, that he's saying we take it seriously. Now, let me really speak into this for a second. And that is, some of you read that list and you're like, well, who would come to church then, right? Uh, but, but what is so important for us to recognize is that we wrestle with sin. Sin is something that we will always wrestle with. When, we, when I get excited about heaven someday, the thing I get most excited about heaven is 
um, is that I'm going to get to be with God. Yes. But I'm also super excited about the fact that I will not wrestle with my flesh anymore. I will not have to wrestle with the battle of sin. When Paul says in his own words, the good things I wish I do, I don't do. The bad things I wish I didn't do, I do do. And you read this and you go, wait a second, we wrestle with this. Yes, the process of sanctification is ongoing in our Christian life. And Paul here is not saying only the perfect people get to stay at church. But what he's saying here is if we are disregarding God's rules and his commitments and his standards, then really we're just functioning like the rest of the world and we ought to be treated like it. Anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty, then you should separate yourself from them. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And then he says, purge the evil person among you. So we are absolutely expected to invest in and love those who do not embrace our values. Remember the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We, we are in the world. We are not supposed to abandon it. The world always will act, though, in a worldly way. And brothers and sisters, that should not shock us. I don't know why it shocks us. The world is going to keep living in a worldly way, and it shouldn't shock us. But there are absolutely, there should be, and there needs to be consequences for the believer who acts blatantly like non-believers. So believers who are caught in sin do not need to be ignored. They need to be restored with gracious and generous care. And I think that's what Paul's saying. So it's not just come as you are and stay as you are after the work of the cross, but instead it's come as you are and then allow the work of the Holy Spirit to change you into what God wants you to become. But if we confuse these two, we misunderstand what it means to pursue the lost. If we misunderstand what it means for us to expect them to have their act together before they come in and participate in the community, it changes the measurement that we use to define what is spiritual and not spiritual. And it's completely confused. And so here, what Paul is saying gently, and I say it to you, brothers and sisters, I hope gently, and that is if the cows have left the barn, hey, let's put them back in again. Let's commit ourselves to living not the way the world does, but live in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ has designed us to. And also, my commitment as a leader in this church is that we're not going to be people who ignore the crocodiles that are around us. We, we're willing to say, like, this is destroying people. And, and let's not ignore the rest of that list. There's some other really terrible things that are causing disruption and discouragement and frustration and I just want to remind you, God's law is not intended, God's, God's, God's teachings in these areas is not intended to steal away as some accuse him of, but instead it's actually to provide the banquet that is his design for his creation. So would you join me in prayer? We're going to sing a song that's very reflective in closing this morning. And I'll just in, invite you. You can pray where you're at. And just, let's just come before the Lord vulnerably, um, honestly. Remember, repentance means that we tell the Lord uh, what he already knows, right? And so let's, let's do this together. Lord, we love you. And I just thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you for as I've wrestled with these verses that um, these, some of these things seem so foreign to um, our culture. It, it seems so foreign to us wrestling with sin in such a way that they, 
that Paul is challenging them to take it so seriously? Would we do that first in our own hearts? Would we search our hearts and say, Lord, is there any of these things on this checklist that have been given territory or space? And let's purge them. Let's, let's eradicate them. Let's push them out of our lives through the massive and beautiful work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's put them to death. Um, but Lord, I also pray for each one of us that you would help us to understand what it means to be in and not of the world, what it means for us to be people who uh, recognize that they will not embrace the same values that we do until they enter into a personal relationship with you. And so let's get that order right. Teach us how to do that. We love you. We need you. I pray that as we sing um, this, this song together in closing, that it would be truly the cry of our hearts. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.